What's up, everyone? Welcome to Sports Card Madness, the podcast that covers the entire collectible space, including sports cards, business, technology, and more. Now brought to you in partnership with Fanatics Live. I did cards as a kid. I made uh, $35,000 when I was 11 years old trading cards. So I've been doing it my whole life. Kick is on the way, and it is All right, welcome everyone. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm here with LZ, and we are on board with Rick Probstein. He is the CEO of Probstein Auctions. Rick, welcome to the pod. How you doing? Excellent, excellent. Yeah, thanks doing for joining good, us. Rick. Yeah, thanks so, for joining. Probstein Auctions has to be one of the, the largest well, sellers. Probst, or... It's Probstein, just so. Probstein, oh my goodness. Thank <laughs> if you. I, if I had a nickel for every time it's mispronounced, but it is pro, it's Probstein. Probstein. So yeah. you you guys must be one of the biggest sellers, consigners on eBay now, right? Well, yeah, we're the largest seller on eBay. Excellent. Wow. That's yeah. by far. There's nobody far. that's yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're wow. more than double the second place guy. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. How did this how did you start all this? So it seems like I know you had a recruiting agency sort of back in the day. And it seems like you've been a collector for a while. Yeah, so I did I did cards as a kid. I made uh, $35,000 when I was 11 years old trading cards. So I've been doing it my whole life. I took a break when I was in college, um, but I did sell cards when I was in college to pay for my expenses. Um, and then after college, I was working in camp and sports and high school stuff, and I was still selling cards. And then I started a technology company, and then I sort of stepped away from cards for like four or five years. And then I got back into it again after that. That's when I was headhunting. How did you make that much money as an 11 year old kid? Please. I mean, every weekend I, yeah. so I grew up in Delaware, which was a great location. Um, it was central to sort of Baltimore, Philadelphia, Atlantic city. And every weekend I would do a card show and basically make a thousand, 2000 hours every weekend. And, I would buy and sell and trade and flip and, you know, just, uh, that's how I did it. And that's today, impressive. What do you think that is in today's dollars? That's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's like my son going out and making a hundred grand. He's nine years yeah. old. Yeah. I mean, listen, like, well, I was older than that, but, uh, yeah. you know, um, no, but I, I hustled, you know, I would mm. run around to, we go to garage sales and, you know, there was no internet then. So it was just a totally different world. Like you literally, would go to a flea market I'd walk around the whole flea market. Um, and you know, I'd pick out anybody who had anything that was sports memorabilia, I'd buy it up, um, garage sales in the, within three or four developments of where I lived, we would hit every single one. And I just kept buying and buying and buying. And then I bought a card shows. I had enough capital that people came to me at the card shows and I would buy collections there and just kept flipping and flipping. And that's what I did. Wow. Rick, did you have any sort of mentors like, back then when you were 11 or maybe a, a parent or an uncle or something that was kind of steering you in that direction? No, I mean, my, my father would drive me around and he would mm. sit with me and we'd spend time together. But um, I, I did a lot of um, reading and research. I read everything. So um, I literally memorized the the Beckett Price Guide, you know, the thick one. Mm. Um, no, I had the whole thing memorized and all the, uh, you know, back then there was a thing called CPU, Card Prices Update. Um, there were monthly magazines and I, 
I knew all the cards, I knew all the card numbers. I was just the I was just the consumer of information. So I, you know, I, I knew what I was doing. And I, I didn't just do cards, I did memorabilia, I did all sorts of stuff. Oh, that's that's wild. Yeah. It's impressive. Um so fast forward to you'd mentioned it at the beginning, just how you are kind of head and shoulders compared to your competition on eBay. Um, like, what are we talking about from transactions? Well, that, that's that's largely in part to PWCC leaving the platform. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. at, at, at one point, it was basically Coke and Pepsi, the two of us. Mm -hmm. And that was basically the only beverages that people were drinking. Um, and now it's it's changing a little bit. There There's, there's a five or six more guys that are in the consignment game on eBay that are sort of stepping up to the plate um, and sort of like improving a little bit. But when it was basically when it was PWCC myself, which they've been off the platform for like two years now, um, it was us head to head, you know, and they, they actually, I was ahead of them initially and then they overtook me and they got beat. They were bigger than me when they finally left. And then when they left, you know, it was sort of like uh, my marketplace. Mm -hmm. So now that you've swallowed up all of their customers, how many transactions are we talking? Like in a, a, um, know, about, a weekly, yearly, what, what do you... Yeah, what do you uh, think? Eight hundred and fifty thousand transactions a year. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. And and what do you have for a and stat? The last four the last four years we've done over a hundred million dollars a year. The best year being a hundred and sixty million dollars. Congratulations. Yeah. That's that's amazing. Um, what does your staff look like when you're dealing with that many transactions? Um, so I have a pool of about thirty people that work okay. for us. I only have about four or five that know what they're doing. Um, I, I sort of thrive myself on developing like minimum wage people into giving them more opportunities. So my actually my two head scripters basically are actually two women that don't follow sports and they know nothing about the sports world, but they know everything about cards. And I taught both of them everything. So it's very peculiar. When people come to the office and they're like, that's your head scripter. And I'm like, yeah, you sexist, you know, <laughs> blank, blank. Mm -hmm. What's it? What's a scripter? Is that just the copy for the um... scripter is a person who, so like, let's say, um, we do consignment. So people, we receive probably, let's say on an average day, we get at least a hundred packages come in. So we open up the packages and we have three or four main scripters and the best stuff will go to, um, her name is Nikki. Um, and she's the one who knows nothing about sports, but knows everything about every card. So I know what she knows, meaning like I'll give one specific example. So Gaylord Perry's rookie year is 62 tops. So on 63 tops, he's actually on a rookie stars card with four players on it. And if you didn't know better, you'd be like, oh, it's a Gaylord Perry rookie. But it's not his rookie. It's his second card, even though it's on a rookie stars. So she knows all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I know what she knows. And. She learned it and she remembers it. She's a smart girl and uh, she's got the whole thing down. She knows all the rookies, all the Hall of Famers, everything. Every type of refractor. Now, when someone sends in a card, when um, in one of your scripters, are they, are they going back and forth even with the customer on fees or are you like a set price and there's no negotiation? No, no, I have, like set, I have, set, I have set rates. We have people that okay. give us in the millions of dollars mm -hmm. and we have people that are just fly in fly out with one card. Everybody works in the same rates. I don't have any rate okay. deals with anybody. Um, our rates are sort of like bare minimum, meaning mm -hmm. like a card over a thousand dollars, we're taking 5%. Mm 
So, okay. you know, and that's in the 5% that covers me, my operation, eBay and eBay processing fees. So um, not a lot of profit on those cards. I'm not mm -hmm. trying poor, I'm okay. But, um, you know, we, we make it up on volume. Okay. Um, with that sheer volume, I'm curious over the past, let's just say year. Yeah. What sort of trends are you seeing with the, the different transactions that are coming in, your consignments and what have you? I mean, the general trend that's going on in our industry, and I've spoken about this in different, you know, forms, you know, pro previously. So some people will be familiar with what I'm saying now, but you'll have a viewership that's probably never heard me speak before. But I would just define the industry as I would say using the word polarized, meaning people are a little confused because the best of the best items, items that are truly, really special and rare are setting record prices and everything else is basically in dot com stock mode and they're freaking, you know, um, falling, falling, falling. Like when I was in the dot com world, I actually had 10 clients whose stock was publicly traded over $100 and then it went under a dollar. So people keep asking me like, oh, how low can these, you know, these base cards go? And I'm like, they can keep going lower and lower and lower. And you'll be, you know, like cards that were $2,000 are now $150. Um, so, you know, so people who bought the wrong things are experiencing, you know, a world of hurt of financial pain. Mm -hmm. um, and then people who bought the right things, um, they're doing quite well, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it's a great lesson. I always look for scarcity in what I buy. It's why I like vintage in particular. And I like vintage yeah. signed even more. Yeah. Um, it's a scarce asset in most cases. And uh, it's protected between the, you know, the crazes and, and the ups and downs of the, the modern market. So I have a lot of money in that. I have a lot of money in that kind of stuff too. Um, and, and the other good thing about it is that you can protect the market. Meaning like, you know, if there's only five of a certain card and one pops up, you know, um, and you bid $100,000, nobody's going to own it unless they bid up more than $100,000. And as long as you're willing to buy the card and, you know, possess more inventory, which, you know, I do all the time. I have, I have multiples of a lot of my special items and I just, you know, if I consider them to be gold, I'll keep buying. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You could just sort of muscle your way and, and kind of, if you've done it right and done it early, you can definitely control the market on rare stuff. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you have the money. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and the foresight, I imagine too. Yeah. Rick, with you leveraging the eBay platform um, for a bulk of what you're doing, if not all, is it all or is it a bulk? Is it? Um, I only sell on eBay. All right. So it's only eBay. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, and, and it actually ties into even a bit of what you're saying where there's like four or five like newcomers that are you know starting to make a little bit of a little bit of headway we'll say yeah there's some guys that are putting up decent stuff now yeah you know so with you only being able to leverage eBay like how much room do you have to innovate in this space and and think of new creative I don't know uh, way, things well just, I'm, a, I'm yeah I mean I I have a million ideas but I'm okay. I am um I am semi limited on the platform mm -hmm. and and eBay within collectibles is also limited on the platform because um you know the largest vertical within ebay is not collectibles so you know if they're going to roll something out on the website it has to also be good for ebay motors it has to be good for all the different verticals that are up and running and the needs of collectibles in many cases are different than they are you know 
eBay Motors does not have a problem with people not paying for mufflers. Um, but they do have a problem this week with people paying for Brock Purdy cards. You know, so you know, they they have different challenges. Mm. Are with are are you able to work very closely with eBay? Like do you have a great relationship? I mean, you gotta be one of them. Yeah, so I I've so... I've um you know, I, I have a managed account. Mm. I have um meetings with eBay executives. We do talk and discuss ideas. Um, I have been out to their executive offices and met with senior people. Um, and you know, I, I I know the sort of the inner workings, but it they 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 um you know just because somebody on the 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 collectibles or the sportsman team wants to do something, doesn't mean that it's going to just be it's going to happen instantaneously. You know, right. and a lot of times they'll know what's best for collectibles, but it's very difficult getting it implemented on the website just because there's a lot of other variables that are going on when you're talking about a multi-billion dollar platform that has a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. At least you have a voice at the table. That's, that's fascinating. So Rick, one of the things, I think this was like my first introduction to you and, and what you collected. I know at the national this past year, you had a framed just sitting out, no armed guards or anything. You had, you had a framed um, thing of, I think it was like 15, well, I'm, PSA I'm 10 people, and... people, people know not to mess with me. So I'll jump yeah, over yeah, the table yeah. and just start. <laughs> it's like, I'll get, that? I'll get violent very quick with people. If they mess with my Jordan collection, there we go. That was uh, how many Jordans was that? Can you just walk through like, so how I brought through, I, I brought 31 Jordan PSA tens to the national. Right. Um, I hit, we fit 30 in the, in that frame piece. Mm. Um, and, and my thinking at the time when I was buying them was that, listen, for me, it's sort of like, um, you know, I'm all in the industry. I'm not one of these guys that's running an auction house that like takes every nickel that he's making and, uh, you know, puts it into, uh, you know, a hedge fund or something like that or starts buying real estate. I'm all in the industry. I'm a collector. Um, I have things that I collect and I believe in the industry long term and I'm all in on it. So my purchases of the Jordans and I was sort of diversifying different things I was investing in. The, the main point is, is that if things get really bad in the industry, um, sort of like the Jordans are going to be the last to go, meaning like the most iconic cards. Um, if they if they go down and 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 have problems, then it doesn't matter where your money is. So Mickey Mantle rookies, which I also have a bunch of um, Jordan rookies and things of that nature that, you know, are most iconic cards in our industry um to me that's a very safe place to keep money right yeah i totally agree i've got a couple of those as part of my my set so um now did you actually try to get any of those a pristine label from beckett yeah so i had a whole thing worked out and and the funny thing is is that the person who made the introduction was actually card porn um <laughs> so at, at the national i never met card porn I spoke mm -hmm. to him on the phone one time and I made a video sort of on Instagram, me joking about, you know, I'm going to take them all to the national and see if I can get a BGS, you know, 10, which would be my dream card, which there are a bunch of them. And one of them has never come out for auction in the last 10, 15 years. They're just gone. And I know one guy who sold one and he believes at the time when he sold it to the guy over 10 years ago, that the guy had three others. So not joking, they could literally, the guy be, they could be sitting in a storage facility or in somebody's safety deposit box 
and the guy passed away and nobody knows they're there. You know, the fact that those cards have not come out is really crazy. Yeah, and I'm sure card. if we looked at those cards, um, I'm sure I could pick out PSA 10s that are much nicer than them. So it's not like, oh, you know, those are nicer than the ones now. Like, right. You know, so yeah. I had I had 31 at the time of the national. I'm like, oh, OK, you know, this would be good for Beckett. They hadn't had great PR. Their their submissions had been down. People were kicking them around a little bit. I'm like, this will be good for Beckett. It'll be good for me. It'll be good for the industry if they gave us a BGS 10. And I made a video just sort of like joking about it. And then Cardporn reached out to me saying, you know, I'll make the introduction for you. I'll put the whole thing together and da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I'm at the national and he's like, okay, I'm sending him over to your booth now. I'm like, okay, fine. You know, and we communicated back and forth. And then they basically decided not to give me a 10. And then, um, you know, I texted Cardporn and he's like, I'm sorry, you know. Oh. <laughs> we had an ex Beckett grader on here too, kind of anonymously telling us how the pristine works. And he mentioned it was typically one pristine label per employee per year, except for the um, belief fiasco. But uh, it's it's just kind of interesting how it all works, because I'm sure, like you say, um, one of those is probably better than something that's already been slabbed pristine. Yeah. I mean, they have they have pictures and scans of them. I would love for them to release all the the scans and pictures of them, so we could actually yeah. blow them up, and people could be like, "Oh, look at that BGS ten with you know, you know, fifty five forty five centering, not fifty fifty centering." Mm -hmm. You know, like right. it wouldn't surprise me one second. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. I figured that that's probably a million dollar card, right? It's over a million dollar card. Yeah, and it you know, PSA ten yeah. Jordans of one hundred fifty right now. No, uh, they're more than that now. More. What two fifty? Yeah, no, they're. I would. I would say right now anywhere between like one eighty five and two ten, depending upon how okay. how nice mm. they are. Somewhere yeah. that's really the sweet spot of where they're at right now. Yeah. So that's you know that's five six x, which is um, pretty insane. So what yeah. what's the um, what's the next craziest thing you've got? So you've got thirty one PSA ten Jordans. Any other any other cool sets or like what are you most proud of? I have a ba I have a lot of stuff. I mean, I have uh, I have a Babe Ruth rookie and a seven, which is a big card. Yeah, I paid three point two five million for that. Um, you know, I have a lot of stuff like that. I have, I have a big collection. What's your most favorite thing? We hope you guys are enjoying this episode. LZ and I have a big ask for everyone: if you are enjoying the show every week, please take a few seconds to go on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us. If you can leave a five-star review, that would be really amazing and help keep the pod coming every Friday and Tuesday. Thanks, everyone. Now back to the show. So I, I enjoy, I enjoy um, things that are like really, really rare and special. Um, you know, like I have a, a Ty Cobb, Ty Cobb back card with the, you know, it's a T206 Cobb with the Ty Cobb smoking tobacco back, um, which is part of the, the Lucky 7 find. Um, I like stuff like that. I have like two of the seven 52 Jackie Robinson signs. I have the highest graded Bill Russell rookie sign. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. It's an 8.5, right? No, Is no, it... it's, it's a 6.510 auto. Wow. What people have that... to understand about um, these vintage cards that grade high with the autos is that when I was a dealer in the early 80s, it was taboo to get them signed. Mm -hmm. So if you got a card signed, you were destroying the value. Then it became sort of like industry-wide acceptable that you could get cards signed. Okay. So 
that started happening, but nobody was willing to take their best or nicest card and get that signed. That was considered lunacy. Mm. So a lot of these guys that passed away before the trend happened. So at this year's past national, you know, Lou Elcinder was signing his rookies. So just now, right, people are willing to crack out their nine and and have it witnessed by PSA. And now they can go for like a high grade, you know, card and an auto at the same time. But that's only very a recent, recent, recent thing. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's really um, who passed away five years or more ago, uh, there's really no inventory of high grade cards that are signed. Um, and you can also, by the way, if you if you look out, you can make money because a lot of times you'll see a card that they just graded authentic and and the card grade is a 10, but they just didn't grade the condition of the card. There's nothing wrong with the card. So you could buy the card and be like, oh my God, that's a near mint card. Um, yeah. So there are examples that you know do exist. Like you could pick up a mini Minoso 52 tops, which is, is now a Hall of Fame rookie. And somebody actually graded an X-Men card because it wasn't that valuable of a card. And that might be the highest graded mini Minoso signed rookie. So there's there's still opportunities out there when you're looking at inventory that hits the market. Um, you can look at cards that are not graded and they just graded the auto and just pick up. You know, yeah. they should have graded the card because that actually would be the highest graded card in existence. And then you have something special. But I'm too busy. I'm too busy to do that stuff. I don't I don't spend time, you know, I I, I don't do that kind of stuff. I just mm. I, I just wait till I see the cards I want. I swoop in and I guess swoop in and grab them. Love yeah. it. Um, I'd like to pivot a bit. Sure. Um, with you being such an expert on the eBay side of things, we have we've done a couple uh, episodes where me and Nick, the the novice when it comes to you to to leveraging eBay, have like given our advice to our audience on just some tips and tricks with with listing or even buying. So I wanted to kind of get into that a bit. I guess what would be some of your top recommendations you would have for someone who's starting out selling on eBay? Lessons learned, things like I mean, that. I could I could write a book on it. I mean, yeah, you I'm want sure to ask you something could. specific. I'm sure you could. <laughs> all right. Um. Yeah. All right. Let's let's. I mean, the focus. general principle is, um, just try and treat people the way that you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, we run a very big operation. When somebody asks a really really stupid question. We will we will not reply. Meaning, like, mm. you know, let's say it's an Albert Pujols card numbered to ninety nine, and the guy sends three messages. This is his jersey number, you know, mm. and we've scanned the front and back of the card. You know, we're not going to stop what we're doing to you know answer people that just aren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. You know, or somebody who's like, you're charging five dollars in shipping, and they're like, well, I pay four fifty with so-and-so like those kind of things we don't give any energy to but in general um we'll reply to as many messages as we can mm-hmm. um but when i was much smaller and it was just me replying to everything you know i could stop what i was doing and go give people you know i could i could take out the you know the 69 luel cinder at the time and say okay the the crease is really just a wrinkle it's not a paper crease, meaning like a wrinkle is looks like a crease on one side, but it doesn't break the paper. So if you turn it over so you can hold the card and help the guy, um, we do the best we can with these things. But, um, you know, when you're much smaller operation, you have an advantage of giving 
more and better customer service. So when you're starting out, you know, there's no reason why you can't answer every single question. But mm -hmm. anybody who's a big seller on eBay, they will know exactly what I'm talking about, that you're inundated with some questions that are just like, you know, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I know you, Um, I, I follow you. I follow your social. So Rick is actually a really good follow. And from time to time, he does share some of the crazy questions and requests that come in. I, I saw your, uh, I think it was your Valentine's day one <laughs> last week. Uh, it was hilarious. Um, you can either share that story, but I did want to ask you like, what are some of the, just the crazy obscure requests, emails that come in the Valentine's day one's a good one, but what oh, we have, I mean, there, yeah. there's, there's yeah. That hold on, was that the one with the twenty-five replies, or that was a different? It, one? It was the Larry no. Bird, um, no. like Valentine's Day gifts. The real yeah. romance, a lot of romance yeah. in that. Oh, with the blonde, with the blonde mustache. <laughs> yeah, 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 with yeah. the blonde mustache. I mean, that really gets you going, right? I mean, there's nothing more that gets you in the mood than the blonde mustache. It's uh, great. Yeah. yeah, no, I there's stuff like that that happens every day. Mm. Um, you know, most most people when they when they're ask a question or they're engaging they don't necessarily think about the other side like i'm not your librarian okay meaning like i'm running a real business i'm working you know so it's not my job to research the prices of your cards and tell you what your stuff is worth okay Ugh. we get it all the time wow. i get i get 10 of them a day like oh i saw you so and so blah 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 uh, can you tell me what my blank is worth you know, and we actually, even our consigners, we have 4,000 consigners that are active with this. Um, we will actually never tell anybody an estimate on a price. Um, I will never tell anybody, oh, I think this card will sell for X, Y, Z. And there's actually a legal issue with that. Meaning mm -hmm. if I tell somebody that a card is a $3,500 card and the card sells for $2,900, okay? and they don't feel that I did everything possible to market their card, they could actually sue you in court and they will most likely win, okay? Um, wow. Most most people don't know that, wow. but there's, so there's legal issues with this stuff. Um, we actually will never give any of our consigners um, a quote on what a card will sell for. The only thing I will tell them is I'll say, listen, um, you know, and it depends on the price point of the card. Um, eBay is the largest platform. It does more money than all the auction houses combined by far. It's not even close. Um, and we're the largest seller on the platform. And we do have a history of getting the most eyeballs in our auctions. And that produces the best prices typically. Um, you know, you have a card. It's a $10,000 card. It has a chance of making our Instagram 24 hours. And it should make email marketing. And, you know, that's the commitment I can make for you. Um, now, if that doesn't work for you, I can't help you. Um, but that we we communicate sort of like what we're willing to do in terms of marketing a card. Um, and some of the big auction houses will work that way too. Some people will give a card to Ken Golden on condition that he puts on the white gloves and holds it up and does a one minute video. You know, mm -hmm. Ken, I have this $500,000 card. If you're willing to make a video on it, it's all yours. You know, and that's just, that's the way that people really should be thinking rather than like, you know, because even if I told a guy, oh, I think it's a 3,300, what does that mean? Like, how do I know what the bids are going to be? Mm -hmm. It's it's nonsense. Right. Yeah. And you don't know when the auction's going to end. Does it end on Christmas Day? Does it end, you know? It's... Well, that we can control. Yeah. Sure. I mean, if I, right. If I, if I, if, 
if I handed an auction on Christmas Day, bad on me, you know. Yeah, of yeah. course. Or in the in the middle of the Super Bowl, you know. <laughs> That's true. I know we talked about time zones and how you know me and LZ will like fall asleep before the end of a of a big auction. And... No, I've spoken on this. They just need to get rid of the whole time zone thing. Like, mm. like if you if you yes. don't research when they started it, why they started it. It's just we're done with time zones. Let's all just be on the same time zone and just love you know. it. I like yeah. it, man. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so Rick, I was kind of curious. You know, I I buy and sell on eBay. You know, obviously not a ton, but you know, making offers on um, expensive cards all the time. What yeah. do you think is the best strategy there to come in at something reasonable and get a dialogue going, or just throw out like a a crazy 50% off thing just to shock them. You know, what, what do you think is the best approach for like the buy it now and how to attack that? So it's very interesting you bring up buy now. I'm actually in the middle. Um, and I've had this conversation with eBay and they're very well aware of it. Um, the buy it now platform within eBay has basically become a, like a crying wolf platform. Meaning <laughs> I would, first of all, 87% of all statistics are made up. So I'm saying that to you with and that's <laughs> um, the majority of cards that are on the eBay buy it now side um, are overinflated. And some of them are overinflated by five times, five X, four X, three X. So much so that the majority of collectors are frustrated and don't even search anymore. Um, so we are actually in process of taking apart our entire eBay store and we're not having any more buy it now items um, moving forward. The only thing that we're doing um, now, some cards need to be protected. So we are in specific instances. If we approve it, we will run a card with an opening bid and then we will lower it by 10% each time until there's a sale. Okay. But we have had cards and I have cards. Now we've been holding for 10 years with crazy buy it now prices and nobody's ever made an offer and it's just bad for the platform. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I think the only solution and it's a very difficult solution to do. And, and I, and I don't know how they can fully implement it is that if you post a card in the eBay store and let's say it's up for a year and doesn't sell and they can determine that the same exact card in the same exact grade, something completely comparable has sold for 60, 70, 80% less, you need to lower the buy it now price to be within a certain percentage of market value or eBay is not gonna host it and allow you to take up real estate on their site and disrupt the whole platform. That's um, that's a really that good would idea. Be tough. That would be he, tough. But he's he's yeah. right though. You know, people use it as an advertisement for their Instagram sometimes. So oh, hundred percent. They'll throw a you know a Jordan rookie on there. Yeah. They'll put one hundred mm. you know million dollars right. Yeah. And, and it's mm -hmm. then yeah, no, you like... see it. You see it all the time. And, oh yeah, and, all the time. And the and the net result is people stop searching. You know, mm -hmm. so right. I have things that I collect. There's probably two or three really specific specific searches that I'll do on the buy it now. But on the most of the things I do collect, I don't even look anymore. Um, because the 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 prices are just so exorbitant in many in many cases, mm. and I think that they've they've done a lot of harm to the market as in a whole as a result of it. And I think that they need to sort of like burn it down and rebuild it. So I'm I'm sort of like in my mind I'm taking the lead with this. Mm. You know, I had thousands and thousands of items up as a buy it now, and I spoke to my consigners one at a time, 
and we're still doing it. We're actually in the middle of it. And uh, by the time this airs, my whole eBay store might be down. Um, wow. And we're basically just giving people the option. You want to run it? We can run it. You want to run it protected, but it's going to go down 10% each time. And that way, within three, four weeks, you know, we're done with the card and we're done with the item. And we're just not holding inventory forever at ridiculous prices. And it's just never going to sell. You know. So I'm starting to warm up to this idea. I said it was tough at first because I was I was thinking about how two PSA tents could still look different. Like the centering could be different. One could be faded. One could be old when grading wasn't as tough as it is now. But to the point you're making, like if, if you put, if it's time bound and you say, hey, after a year, or I, I love your strategy, if it's, hey, it's just going to go down 10% each time. I think, yeah, I'm warming up to this idea. I, I yeah. And now listen, that. if you start something with a protected price, a thousand dollars, doesn't mean that it still can't sell for thirteen hundred dollars. Right. People want it, mm -hmm. you know. But the nonsense of having something sit there with three times the price value, with straight buy now or buy now best offer, it's just there's just too much stuff out there. You're talking about tens of thousands of cards with overinflated prices. Yeah. Um, and it just clogs up, and people just. Yeah, they're they're just tired of searching. They don't want to waste mm -hmm. their time. Yeah, it's a they less efficient just... marketplace when you do that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I'm sort of taking the lead with it. And my my eBay's aware that I'm doing it, um, and they they understand. You know, and as long as uh, you know, my sale number, my my sales are probably going to increase as a result of it. Didn't increase because we'll have more cards that will actually that didn't need to sit there. Will now just enter the marketplace properly and listen. It, it is what it is, what your card mm -hmm. is worth. You know, you might mm -hmm. want it to be worth something 5X of what it is, but that's not where the marketplace. And there's tons of, you know, go, go, just go start doing searches for like Zion Williamson cards, you know, in, in the store. They're 10X of what they trade for now currently. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, at some point you just got to lower them because it's just clogging up space on the site. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So... Rick, I have one more question. I know LZ has yeah. one more after me that we ask every guest. Um, so my final question for you, you started to get into it and, and it's fascinating. We've, I'm 43, you're a little bit older than me. We've been around a while. We've seen a lot a older than me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice, but- um, I'm a so grandfather, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm not there yet, thankfully. Um, yeah. So we've seen recessions, we've seen bubbles. We've lived for a few, right? And, and um, you know, we've seen- some very interesting, you know, factors get into this modern cart. You know, COVID hit. There's this boom. There's speculation. You can't gamble on sports anymore. Here's a way yeah. you can gamble, and so on and so on and so on. Right? Correct. How do you how do you think the modern card market, all this breaking and all this, you know, overprinting? How do you think this is going to shake out in the next five years, ten years? What do you, how do you think this all ends up? We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you want to connect with us and our community of listeners, please join our Facebook group, Sports Card Madness. The link is in the show notes. Share your collections, your stories, and your questions. Now back to the show. Um, so I think one of the things, we'll just go back for a second. So, you know, I, I started noticing, you know, I have a lot of guys in my community, um, you know, that sort of are investment bankers, or they're successful people. And they started all coming to me when 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 the media started showing the prices of these sales, and then a lot of them got involved in the industry. So I would say that 
out of, let's say there was, we'll make an easy number, 100 new people who entered our industry that could buy a card for $100,000 or more and it wasn't going to affect their mood, right? I think 90% of them lost money um, during the, we'll call it 2021 to 2023 when they tried to exit after they made a purchase. Um, you know, you have guys that have bought Justin Herbert's, you know, NFL Shield for $1.8 million. That card's not going to sell for over a million dollars. So it's not going to sell for $500,000, you know. Um, I think we lost a lot of those people. Um, the ones that we kept, I think, have wisened up in terms of, um, you know, getting more information, better information in terms of safer places to keep their money. You know, the Mickey Mantles, the Babe Ruths, the Ty Cobbs, the Jim Browns, the, you know, going back, you know, Bill Russell, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that a lot of those people that are still in it are, are, are going back. But in general, um, I think that people have sort of like seen the error of their ways. Um, and, and people have to, I mean, listen, breaking cards and, and breaking boxes and joining breaks, it is a form of gambling, you know. And, and it's dangerous. And there are people that I think actually might have real addictions to this. Um, and it's, it's, it's very, very dangerous. But um, you know, there are people that are collecting. And if you're really collecting and you don't care about the value, that's fine. But I don't believe all these people that basically are sort of telling you, oh, I'm a collector and you're not really an investor. I do believe that the majority of the people that are in the space are investing in things that they like. And they are doing it as an investment, as the primary reason, more so than collecting. Um, you know, collectors will just, you know, I don't mind overpaying for something I need. And I know that if I ever want to resell it, it'll sell for less money, but I don't care because I need it for my collection. Um, I don't think that there's a lot of people in our industry in general that have that mindset. Mm. Um, I think people are collecting so many different things that there's enough to keep everybody happy. And they'll wait and they'll buy things when they're appropriately priced. You know, that that collector who's just willing to pay two, three times, you know, because they happen to need that one thing. I don't think that there's a lot of those people in our industry. Just the weirdos like me that need to finish autograph sets. <laughs> no, so, but, but even so, let's take, let's take you as an example. Sure. Okay. Let's say, how many, how many guys do you need for your 69 set? Uh, four more. Four more. Okay. But you're also collecting other things. Of course. So mm -hmm. you're not going to, just because one of those four comes up and it goes for a crazy, crazy, crazy price, you're still of the mindset that, and 69 autograph cards, they do exist. So it's not like you're only dealing with a population of less than five, where if you don't get it, you're done. Right. There are 10 or 20 of most of these cards out there in existence. Um, some of them more. Um, so you're not of the mindset where you're just going to like bid to the moon if one of them does come up because you're also collecting other things that sort of satiate you. You know, right. if you're only collecting that and that was your thing and that was only your thing. But what I have found is that most people who are collecting, we're all collecting 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 different things um, that we're involved with. And, you know, if we don't get our price in one area, we'll sort of wait it out until we can get it, you know, at the right time.
That's exactly what I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Spot on. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, Rick, all right. So to finish it up, we we do have one question. You guys didn't mentioned. ask me any tough questions, by the way. I come <laughs> on these places sometimes and they're just like, so tell us about show bidding. You know, I, oh, I, yeah. I mean, if you want to go there, we can. No. But, you know, I, we we're genuinely <laughs> interested in your thoughts on other things. So, yeah, yeah. I, I can reply to all this kind of stuff. So no, good. Um, so we ask every guest if you could have coffee with um, any sports figure, deceased or living, who would it be and why? Coffee. Can I have a beer with them instead of sure, coffee? sure, definitely <laughs> a beer. Yes. You would sit down for a couple hours. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I'm I'm the people that I'm most invested in collecting is probably the people. And they're all in that group. Um, so we're talking about, and this is where the majority of my portfolio is with Michael Jordan. We have Tom Brady. We have Mickey Mantle. We have Babe Ruth, um, Ty Cobb, you know, those kind of guys. Um, if I could sit down and chill with any of those guys, it'd be all good. Um, I don't have one specific guy who's like my favorite favorite, but I'm heavily invested in those kind of guys. Um, so any, any of those guys would be good. Okay. You imagine well, having a beer with Ty Cobb. Wayne, Wayne Gretzky in there too. Hmm? Oh, Wayne Gretzky. Okay. Yeah. No, I was going to say, don't choose Tom Brady. Cause if you choose him, it's only going to be like a one minute sit down because have you seen him chug a beer before? He, he can throw it down. Oh, you got it. Yes. He absolutely can. He can chug a beer in like four seconds. Have you seen me it, chug a beer? No, I have not. <laughs> might need to yeah i can handle myself okay all right maybe uh, you'll have to challenge tom brady you might have to do that we might have yeah. to we might have to have you back to um yeah chug beers we have a cousin eddie that comes to the pod sometimes and uh we'll see who's faster that'd be that'd be pretty entertaining <laughs> yeah have you ever done have you we used to call it around the world which was like a oh. shot of beer a minute for an hour have you ever oh, done it so yeah, a uh, power I, hour yeah power power, hour. power we, used to call it a, we called it around the world I always cheated, Rick. I was in a fraternity and I was the only, I don't know, I was one of the smarter people in the fraternity. And I just, I'd go leave the room, I'd fill it with water. You know, I just could not do that. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like, I can do things like that. So that's like my, that's like my training. Okay. All right. We're oh. learning a lot about Rick today. <laughs> I think it's the UMass in you, because I can, I can feel it. Yeah. It was there too. No, I, I played, I played football there. So we were oh. like, you know. Okay. I was a kid. Oh, yeah. I was a I was a kicker. I was not a linebacker or anything like yeah. that. All right. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, Rick, thank you for your time today. We we really appreciate it. Um, I guess I'm sorry we didn't hit you with hard enough questions. <laughs> um, we'll have to. Maybe we'll do we'll a part two. No, you're gonna. Yeah, the only thing you. is, you're gonna get you're gonna get pushback. Like, Why didn't you ask him about this? Why didn't you ask him about that? You know that you're that's you're fine. gonna the pushback that's is gonna fine. be on you, not on okay. me. Yeah, so, all good. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I guess for the for the audience, the people maybe who don't know you, I'm sure a lot of people do. But for people who don't, how can they follow you? How can they get in touch with you? How they how can they use your services? Yeah, I'm so I'm pretty easy to get in touch with. So on Instagram, we're Probstein Auctions. I have close to a little over almost fifty thousand followers. On eBay, I have one hundred and fourteen thousand followers. So I'm pretty easy to get a hold of there. Um, and you can just literally just do a Google search. I mean, you'll be able to get a hold of me in like three minutes. I'm pretty yes. accessible. 
Yes. He's a good follow, everybody. Make sure you follow Rick. I He's got some great stories. You'll see Appreciate some cool it. stuff. Yeah. Excellent. Will. All Thank right. You, well, Rick. thanks so much, Rick. Okay. And stay in touch, guys. I like you guys. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you guys are doing this kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank All right, everyone. That was another episode of Sports Card Madness. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please take a few seconds and subscribe wherever you get them and uh, we'll keep them coming. Thanks everyone. Mm-hmm.